Warning, you're about to hear unfiltered insights about regenerative agriculture and our sovereign right to natural food. This is not just a podcast, but a patriotic movement against the tide of food ignorance and corporate food giants shaping our modern food system. It's time to feed the people. What up, AJ? What's up, brother? How you doing, Brooks? Man, I'm doing a lot better than we tried to do this show last week. Let me tell you what. Good. How are you That's doing? That's all right. Oh, so well, man. Busier than a billy goat with two peckers, but doing great. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Man, we're barely even a minute into this show, and already you're just hitting me with stuff I've never heard before. Billy goat with two peckers. That's uh, that's busy. Yeah. If you ever been around a billy goat with one, you know how crazy it is with two. Dude, so funny. So glad we're here. It is episode 12 of the Feed the People podcast. I am your producer, Brooks. I am here with one of your hosts. That is AJ Richards. Brooks is mobile today. So she will not be sitting down with us. And boy, oh boy, I, I do. I'm going to acknowledge. I do wish she was here because we're going to get into some stuff that some uh, authentic Brooke reactions would be <laughs> good for. But maybe she can just watch it, make some videos of her reaction. We'll just put it up on Instagram or something like that. Um, well, this episode is going to be I don't want to say it's going to be different. Um, it's going to be the same with the same format. We're going to go through a lot of the same stuff, but the inf- we're going to get a a tad bit philosophical on this episode. Great. And the way that we're going to start is with the beautiful philosophical piece that you recently put out on Instagram. And this is where we are going to start our show. Let's do it. If I were the devil and I wanted to starve you to death, first, I'd exploit the centralization of your food supply chain. Its efficiency, once a strength, becomes its greatest weakness. A disruption here, a logistical error there, and this intricate web shudders, leaving supermarket shelves barren and millions hungry and starving. I'd then turn to your soil, encouraging practices that prioritize profit over health. Your crops, though abundant, would be hollow, lacking essential nutrients. Simultaneously, I'd fuel the greed of corporate oligopies, allowing them to monopolize your food sources. The small farmer, once the guardian of your food diversity, would be crushed under this relentless pursuit of profit. I'd also ensure that your silent allies, the bees, the insects vital for pollination, are decimated. Without them, your natural food chain collapses quietly, devastatingly. If I were the devil, I'd introduce glyphosate, a chemical insidiously woven in your food chain. Linked to a rise in autoimmune diseases, it would be my tool to weaken you, not by starvation, but by sickness, making you dependent on my other ally, Big Pharma. Simultaneously, I'd be crafting my masterstroke, intellectual food property. I'd develop lab-grown meats and synthetic substitutes, patenting them as my own. I'd then wage a war of conscience, convincing you that traditional meats, a part of human diets for centuries, are the villains of climate change. You'd be torn between guilt and necessity, a psychological battle that leaves you vulnerable for my manipulation. As small farms and ranches vanish, squeezed out by industrial giants and local processing facilities close, I'd flood your markets with cheap imports, making it impossible for local producers to compete. You'd watch as your food becomes a traveler, accruing miles and losing its essence. Your choices would narrow down to my patented food products, 
any resistance would be met with legal barriers, making it difficult, even illegal, to buy from local producers. You'd be starved of your choice, agency, and connection to the earth that feeds you. You'd be left with a bounty of food, yet impoverished in health, diversity, and sustainability. In this world, fake food is abundant, yet you are starving, a slow, insidious starvation, not of the body, but of the soul. If I were the devil, I'd do it not through an absence of food, but through a perversion of your food system. Imagine a world where your connection to the source of your sustenance is severed, where city dwellers are so far removed from farms and fields they believe food is manufactured in factories not grown on land or pastures. And then, in the climax of this grand scheme, I would turn it all off. The taps of this artificial food supply would run dry, and I would watch as the cities and towns dependent and fragile collapse into chaos and death. A world starved not only of nourishment, but of understanding and connection, crumbling under the weight of its own forgotten origins. But I am not the devil. On the contrary, the Creator has called us to help nourish you, body and soul. If I were to sustain you, I would begin by weaving you back into the tapestry of a local food system. Imagine a world where your sustenance is a mere stone's throw away, where city dwellers and countryside folk alike know the name of the farmer who raised their beef or grew their greens. I would champion the decentralization of your food supply. Its diversity, once forgotten, becomes your greatest strength. A hiccup here, a glitch there, but the local food web remains resilient, ensuring the farmer's market's bins brim with bounty and every family's table is graced with a feast. Then I'd restore your soil, encouraging practices that honor the earth. Your crops grown with care would brim with life, bursting with the nutrients they're meant to carry. I'd support the small farmers, the unsung heroes of your food heritage, in their stand against the tide of faceless agriculture. I'd safeguard your silent allies, the bees, the butterflies, the diligent pollinators. With them, your gardens flourish and your orchards bear fruit as nature intended. In this scenario, I'd banish glyphosate, restoring integrity to your food chain. No more silent sicknesses creeping into your homes. Instead, vitality and health served with every harvest. And in my masterstroke, I would not claim dominion over food with patents or synthetic imitations. Instead, I'd celebrate the long-standing traditions that have nourished generations. I'd fight the good fight to keep your meats raised under open skies, part of a balanced conversation about climate stewardship, not the scapegoat. As big agriculture vies for control, I'd shine a spotlight on the local heroes, the ranchers, the butchers, the growers, who keep the heart of the community beating. I'd open avenues for local processing, giving you choices that don't cross time zones or international borders. Your choices would expand with every local purchase. Resistance to the homogenization of your mills would be met with innovation and open arms, making it a joy to support the local economy. You'd be rich in choice, community, and connection to the land that sustained you. You'd enjoy the abundance of food, robust in health, diversity, and sustainability. In this world, food is not only plentiful, it's a source of life and joy. You are thriving with every meal a celebration of connection, not a starvation of the soul, but a feast for it. And so I extend to you, not just an invitation, but a clarion call to action. This is your moment to be part of a movement that's not just changing tables, but changing lives. Join us at From the Farm, where we're not just avoiding the dark path of disconnect, but actually forging a new one. One filled with lush fields, grazing cattle and the laughter of those who shake the hand that feeds them. Step out of the shadows of congested cities and step into the sunlight that dapples through the leaves of orchards. 
Take your place in a community that values the soil where hands are dirtied in the day's toil and washed clean by the satisfaction of labor done for the good of all. Build food sovereignty, provide for your neighbors, and become a linchpin in a network that nourishes and sustains. Be a part of From the Farm, where every choice you make sows the seeds of a better tomorrow, where every transaction is a handshake with nature, where every mill is a testament to the land and the people who nurture it. Join us, grow with us, thrive with us. Together, we will harvest more than just food. We will harvest hope, community, and a future where no table is ever empty and no soul is ever starved. This is your call to dig deep, to plant dreams, and to see them bear fruit. Will you answer? From the farm, shake the hand that feeds you. Man. I've already watched this thing three times, and even on the third time, I'm still just so fired up and passionate about the potential, the possibility of what could be if everybody understood the integral nature of food and the whole world that we live in, our Mm -hmm. micro world with our individual self and our families, and then starting to move into the macro world of our neighborhoods, our communities, our cities, our states, our nation, and hopefully the the globe itself. It's just... I'm so passionate about this, and you absolutely nailed the message here. Now, for context of the listeners, can you tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind this? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I've heard Paul Harvey's address, the 1965 address, If I Were the Devil. I've heard in the past, and in my commutes, I was listening to Joe Rogan interviewing um, the uh, guy who created Yellowstone and owns the four sixes, Tyler Sheridan. And they play and they, they mentioned it and they played it and I'm on the road thinking. And as soon as they played it, I'm like, what would this rendition be or sound like if it was focused on our food supply chain? Because everything that he spoke to Paul Harvey in 1965, you listen to it now and you hear that he was spot on. I have a feeling that he just had insight because of the space he was in to know that those things he spoke of were already happening. So it wasn't a, I don't believe he had any special insight that that nobody else had at that time. I think he was just speaking to what he was seeing happen from his position in society. And now we are down the road that many years of what was starting. And so... I wanted to adapt it to our food supply chain because we talk about these things on our show every week and we've been highlighting this, you know, since COVID of what's happening. And so these, these things are happening and that turning the faucet off possibility is what we'll see in the future. Not that what we, what I just articulated is predicting the future. It's the, like you say, it's the tiptoe to tyranny. I'm just calling it out now before it happens, you know, if we don't make the changes that were articulated in the second part of that, we will see ourselves in a repeat of the Holodomor in Ukraine from 1932. Or I just read another another article of things that happened in China as early as 1960s, where 55 million people starved to death. We will see much larger numbers because our population numbers are larger. We have so many people dependent on the current system 
which by the way, cannot be broken or changed right now. It's not what we're saying. We must start to make the shift and you can do that through how you're spending your money and your interest in your food supply. So that is known uh, as a parallel economy. Exactly. Parallel running side by side. Yep. Yeah. And and we're not saying like, look, you're going to find stuff from your local farmer and rancher. And then you're going to find stuff. They're going to find that there's some stuff that your local farmers and ranchers don't have. So go to your local grocery store to complete the, the, the meals that you need, but start to create that parallel. And then if you do what was articulated in the second half it is possible. I be, I do not believe for a second that what 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 was discussed in the first part has to be that way. Now, I do believe we are at the 11th hour. And so if these changes aren't implemented rapidly, then we are less likely to see the beneficial outcome without major turmoil. Um ultimately here's the thing. The the outcome in the long run is that whoever is left or survives will be back to that cycle anyway. You, the listener, depending on where you live and your habits right now, you just may not be that person and your family may not be those people who see that outcome. Powerful stuff, dude. Yeah. Thank you. And it was, you know, this is a movement as we discussed, um, and we're not shy. This is a movement impressed on many people by God, by the creator. When I say God, I, I believe the God of my understanding. I'm not calling into question the God of yours. But there is a creator. There's source energy. There's um, there's uh, a higher power, a higher energy at work here. And I'm not questioning yours. I'm telling you from my belief this is where it comes from. And I'll bet you yours aligns with a slightly different meaning. And that's okay. Absolutely. Um, I think that's okay. And and I think what we've done so far, what we're beginning to do is start with a framework through which we're going to, a foundation for which we're going to build on this show. Mm, yes. Your video had two halves. Yep. Our show's going to be in an A block, B block. Perfect. And so for the first half, we're going to go over the enemy if you want to, I'm using a single term that could be, uh, many terms could be swapped in and out for it. But we'll sure. just, let's yep. just call it, for starters, the enemy that we are needing to understand. If you don't understand your enemy, then you are less likely to be effective in your counter. Yes. Okay. So you mentioned God. And that many of the things that we uh, are doing here, our connection, the mission, has been fueled and inspired by what we know as God the Creator. Mm -hmm. You and I have spoke at length about this. Uh, you and Henry from Utah Beef Producers. Shout out Utah Beef Producers. You've both discussed that at length, and in fact, it's one of the, the filters that you use in your quote, <laughs> go ahead yeah. and tell them again, just so we're, just so we're up to date. The, um, yeah, the filter in the quote is that be up to something so big that without God's intervention is destined to fail. Love it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, 
going to get a little philosophical, everybody. So just <laughs> hang on to your hats because we will close with some practical things that you can do if you're solutions-oriented. You don't want to get into all the philosophical mumbo-jumbo. I get it. And yeah. for the listeners that are interested, hang on. We're going to go through some information, and information can change perception. So if you don't have the information, you may not be able to change your perception. So in general, the counter, the, the opposing force, the enemy of God is, AJ? Um, you're leading me into a question. I don't know. <laughs> well, you said if you were the who, if you were the devil. Oh, yeah, if I were the devil. Yeah, exactly. The, yeah. the, main, the main counter. <laughs> the main counter. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. So if we're on a mission that we believe is fueled by God's calling, Yes. We are, in essence, taking up arms against the enemy, which is, the in this case, the devil. The devil. Mm -hmm. Another word for the devil is Satan. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to get to know some things about Satan and Satanists. All right. And we're going to then use that and go and, and kind of consider, not kind of, we're going to consider what's going on in the world with this new information and we'll see where we come out to. We'll take our break, and then we'll get into some stuff that it's like goodness, wholeness. Do Go out and do some good, and here's how you can do it. So the first wave of clips that I have for you is from a man named Mark Passio. Mark Passio is a complicated personality, but his information is very solid. Okay. And to give some background information on Mark Passio, he is a recovering Satanist. He was a high-ranking Satanist in the wow. Church of Satan, which does exist. It's not a myth. It's not. It, it exists. Okay. Yep. So they have, and they have philosophies that drive their belief system. Mm -hmm. One of which is called social Darwinism. It's at the core of Satanism. Social Darwinism. And so here is a clip to kind of give you some insight as to what that means. Social Darwinism inevitably comes after that, all right? Th this is the idea that a certain class of society can get to direct how the lives of everybody else will go uh, because they're the intelligentsia, so-called, okay? We're the intellectual people, really is what, the, what it is, uh, the over-intellectualizing. And um, we'll direct society because we're the fittest, like Darwinism postulates the survival of the fittest, well, social Darwinism postulates the survival of the most socially ruthless. And many people believe that's the natural order. They believe that's the natural order, and nothing could be farther from the truth. What that is, is it's the psychopathic chaos. First thing he wants to tell us about is something called social Darwinism, which is, mm -hmm. and he named the intelligentsia, the elite, the... Yep. smart people that are like, we got all the solutions and we know the answers. Keep in mind, this information is from 2009. It's okay. roughly 15 years old. Hmm. Okay. Yep. Long before any of this was on most people's radars in the mainstream, this was, he, he's been, he's been hammering this drum since the late nineties, early two thousands. Okay. So now, so if I've observed this to be true, I've observed it in their language. Yeah. I've mm -hmm. observed it in their actions. 
We are the elite. We are the smart, intelligent ones. You are stupid. You need to listen to what we say. And if you don't, we'll put you in your proper social place. Yes. Cool. Next is we're going to learn about some of the belief systems and sins about Satanism. Okay? Okay, great. When I was a Satanist, okay, and I was working inside the Church of Satan and other dark occult organizations, they have a, they have a set of sins, believe it or not. They don't look at them as sins in the same way that, like, you know, religionists look at sin. But they have the things that, these are behaviors and thought patterns that should not be engaged in by the dark occultist themselves, by the magician, if you will. You are not to engage in these behaviors, but we are to peddle them to other people. We are to get them to engage in these behaviors. Okay? You know what the first one is? Come on. <laughs> Cliffhanger. Uh, I was, I was going to ask you what you think it is because today, AJ, this is our first segment. Pop quiz. Oh, <laughs> AJ! <laughs> what is the first and most common sin of Satanism? Oh, dude. Man, you put me on a spot on this episode. <laughs> Let's see. First sin of Satanism. I'm going to just say belief in God. Okay. Well, you're to peddle belief in God as much as possible. Is that what you think? Uh, no, you would be to peddle uh, hmm. lying. May I'd say lying, deceit. Cool. So you're not to um, you're not to engage in deceit, but you are to peddle deceit as much as possible. Yeah, maybe passing on disinformation and misinformation, just like the World Economic Forum just labeled as the number one threat to humanity right now. All right, all right. Did I steal, did I steal a clip from you? Nope. Oh, dang. You didn't, but it was. <laughs> but I have a. I'm. I'm gonna play this clip, which is if I had just played this by itself, would have made no sense whatsoever. Okay. This is teasing what the answer is. Okay. Okay. You got this computer. Do you drink water? No. No water at all? Okay. All right. And then what are you drinking during the day? Sodies. Sodies. Sody pops. Okay. <laughs> and how much do you think you drink a day? Eight to 12 a day. Eight to 12 cans? Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's regular soda? No, it's diet. It's diet. Okay. Our mom told us when we were younger, if we ate a sugar, you drink a Diet Coke afterwards and it'll cancel out the sugar. Okay. Um. <laughs> I've seen that clip, and those poor kids, I mean, whew. That's from a show, just for people's knowledge, that's from a show on TLC, the Lifestyle Channel or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like what used to be just wholesome entertainment. That's from a show called the 600 pound sisters. Yep. And they're over there talking about sodies. And, and if you drink a, a, a diet one, it cancels out the regular one. Now AJ, how would you describe that clip and that information? Just it would not even trying to lead you. How would you describe that? 
um, well, it's just it's it's a deceit, it's misunderstanding, it's a, a lack of under of lack of knowledge on how the food interacts with our bodies and the things we're taking in and what it does to us. All I right. mean, they have they have a mother that's uh, supposed to be leading them, and yet they're lost. They don't have any clue. Passing on Satanism, clip number two. The first one is stupidity. Ah. Uh. That's the first satanic sin. Okay? For the dark occultist. But they want other people in deep stupidity. They want other people in deep ignorance. The idea here is we will know it all. We will know the truth. So that we can control others and keep them a dumbed down herd. Okay? I mean this with all due respect. I mean this with all due respect. Listen to that other clip again. Do you drink water? During no. The no water at all? Okay. All right. And then what are you drinking during the day? Sodies. Sodies. Sody pops. Okay. <laughs> and how much do you think you drink a day? Eight to 12 a day. Eight to 12 cans? Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's regular soda? No, it's diet. It's diet. Okay. Our mom told us when we were younger, if we ate a sugar, you drink a Diet Coke afterwards and it'll cancel out the sugar. Okay. Um. Sounds pretty stupid to me. Yeah. I think that was being too complicated. You were? In my answer. And I mean, it's straight up, just make them stupid. <laughs> make other people stupid. You're not to engage in stupid behavior, but you are to peddle stupidity mm -hmm. as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And when I see there are so many good stories that could be on TV, right. so many inspiring people oh. and stories that could have slots on TV. Meanwhile, we get in another era, Honey Boo Boo, same mm -hmm. channel. And in our era, the 600-pound sisters over here talking about sodies, drinking 8 to 12 a day, thinking that one diet will cancel out the other one because that's what their mama told them. Mm -hmm. yep. And I don't mean to be crass. I'm just saying it's working. Very well. It's, it's working really well. working. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Let's keep going. Okay. <clears throat> There's a bunch of other ones, but I think the second or third is solipsism. Solipsism is one of the biggest sin for, for Satanists and dark Luciferians and dark occultists. They don't, want any, they don't want any of their membership believing in this mental illness nonsense, okay? But they want to pro propagate it and peddle it. They want to do that. And they, they told me personally, higher-ups in this network told me personally when I was working with them, wait until you see the New Age books that we, our membership, will be writing or either writing ourselves or putting into the hands of useful dupes to write and put out there. We'll be giving them the idea. They'll write it for us, put it out there as their own idea. And they said, we are going to propagate and peddle solipsism like you have never seen. And you know what? When they say something, they do it. <laughs> I'm serious. They're aligned. Their act is together. They act on the same page. And for that, I have respect for them as an enemy. Hmm. 
So we mentioned a word that may not make much sense uh, mm-hmm. to, to, to the average listener. It did not make sense to me. I didn't know what it was. Solipsism. So I'm going to define solipsism for the listeners so they can understand what it is. Mm-hmm. Solipsism is a belief that only one's uh, existence is sure to exist, that that's the only verifiable thing that could possibly exist is my own existence. Okay? Okay. So I'm going to play this one from, from him that gets a little bit deeper into defining solipsism, okay? Solipsism is the ideology that only one's mind is sure to exist. Solipsists contend that knowledge of anything that is outside of one's own mind is unsure, and hence there is no such thing as objective truth. Okay? No such thing as objective truth. This is a huge point. Huge point. Okay? We got about a minute, minute minute-ish left. And therefore, nothing about the external world and its workings can actually ever be known. Just think about that statement. It's saying no one can ever know anything. You cannot come to know anything at all. There is no such thing as knowledge. So what I would say to somebody who's following the quote-unquote course in miracles or course in solipsism or course in acceptance of all forms of evil in this world is you can't know anything by reading the course in miracles because nothing can be known, you know? How could a solip, why would a solipsist ever pick up a book? Why would a solipsist ever watch anything, any video? Why would a solipsist ever engage in a conversation with another human being, you know? Tell a solipsist you can't know that you're gonna fall off that cliff, so why don't you go try to walk over and see what happens? Because you can't be sure of anything. They won't do that though, you know? The whole point here is this is a religion. This is a New Age religion, and I'm telling you who it's peddled by. It's peddled by the occultists who have the knowledge of how natural law works and are trying to put out whatever ideologies they can, destructive ideologies they can, to get people not to understand it. Hmm. So where the belief that only one's inner world is sure to exist shows up Mm -hmm. in a very particular political segment of the United States and the world right now, which is the transgender movement. That's exactly what I was thinking the whole time. And it's, it's wild. So when you see someone like Jennifer Pritzker or someone like the national health secretary, who is Mm -hmm. a biological man, clearly a biological man like just Mm -hmm. simply looking at them you would never mistake them as a biological woman ever yeah and they're just up there like yeah i'm totally a woman (laughs) yeah it's stupid and then you ask them to to describe a woman and then they can't do that but the thing is is yeah well that obviously that i've watched that documentary which is really funny uh, and it, all it took was an adult biological female. Um, yeah. This is all it took. They, the reason that they can come to that conclusion that I am this or I am that, and it doesn't matter, objective reality doesn't exist within this belief system. So if only my a reality, quote unquote, I'm putting air quotes in reality, exists, then you can't tell me anything objectively true. 
So you can't tell me I'm a biological man yep. because only my perspective is sure to exist. Mm-hmm. So even though you have all the biological markers of a man, even though we could run test after test that could show you you are a biological man, they go, nope, that is not objective truth. There is no such thing as objective truth, yep. and you can't tell me otherwise. Right. And what used to be a very sliver, small percentage of the population who experienced something in the medical world known as gender dysphoria is now just exploding with the uh, prevalence of social media. And you have people questioning objective truth and saying only my uh, uh, existence is sure to exist and you can't tell me anything objective at all. I've got a friend who's from Philly. and he's got a younger sibling that's still in high school. And he said right now about 50% of the kids in school, this is from his sibling, identify as transgender or uh, non-binary. Non-binary. Right. It's wild. I mean, but no surprise, Hitler knew, and this is a thesis that people have followed, Hitler knew that in order to control the population, you started with the youth. And so when we look at the youth that's coming up that this country is going to rely on, I mean, it's not looking good. Same with the Maoists, mm, okay. which uh, you described earlier, the, uh, the the Maoist movement of the oh, 60s yeah, where the a 60s. lot of people starved. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, what coincided with that was a social revolution. Mm-hmm. It was known as, uh, I believe it was known as like the Cultural Revolution of China. Yep. And what they, part of the strategy was to propagandize young people and the ones that had the most propaganda received the most propagandization were young women hmm. who were shaped to be by their haircuts and by their actions genderless hmm. and they were called the red guard really the red guard were a bunch of young gender neutral women that started attacking professors and old martial arts teachers and and yeah all the it was like a massive cultural revolution that started with neutralizing the gender of young women specifically and children were set to task of controlling the adult population you you know talk about pronouns Dude. When you get the pronoun, uh, no, mom and dad, they're a they. Mm-hmm. You don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's this. I mean, it's literally the same tactics. Where transgenderism is actually better should be better known as trans Maoism. Yeah, great. <clears throat> and it's a step towards. It's a step towards. Uh, oh, it's a step towards transhumanism. And if you want to know anything about that, <laughs> go and listen to episodes ten and eleven of the Serious Fun podcast called Transition and Transition Two dot 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 question mark. If you want to have a deeper dive on those conversations, but the point that we started with is that you need to understand the enemy. Yep. You need to understand who you're working against, what they believe, and we have only gotten two pedal stupidity and pedal this idea that there's no such thing as, as objective truth. And you have a nice lens through which to look at what's going on in the world. And, and you're going to see things much differently when you put on those frames. I have one more clip from Mark Passio and then we'll, uh, we'll start a, another ramp. All Sound right. good? Okay. Perfect. And you know what, when they say something, they do it. 
The I'm serious. <laughs> they're aligned. Their act is together. They act on the same page. And for that, I have respect for them as an enemy. And I don't take anything they do lightly. I recognize they have the will. They're not like the rest of, of humanity. They, they, they align their thoughts, their knowledge, with their version of care. You know, it's not like our emotionally based care, but they care about what they're doing. And then they act. And when they act, they act in concert. And they get it done. Okay? I'm not saying, you know, I agree with any of their agenda, because I don't, and I'm trying to stop it. But I have respect for their unity. They are unified and on the same page, and humanity is not. And that's why, in all honesty, we're having our rear ends handed to us in this spiritual battle right now. At least right now. Reminder, 2009. Mm-hmm. What do you think it's about kind that? Of the, well, it's just kind of back to the conversation, like uh, what I was saying about um, uh, about uh, what Harvey posted in 1965, right? It was done in 65, and then we either see the results of that. It was already happening. So in 2009, it was already happening, and now we're living it. It's uh, It's pretty, you know, it's pretty disconcerting, and... We also believe, I also believe, that the silent majority is still the majority, and the problem is we're silent. You know, Hitler only needed to get 10% of Germany to be vocal for his mission. 10% to be vocal for his mission to do what he did World War II. 10%. I think that's what we're seeing in our country. 10%. They've got a loud voice because they control most of major media, right? Like he said, they're very coordinated. Very coordinated. I felt the same way about the vegan movement, which, which frankly, I think is just a tool for the same people that we're discussing at a higher level, right? The vegan movement is just a, it, it was a, it was a tool. It wasn't the whole movement, but because they're so well coordinated, we're talking about 6% and that's being generous. The estimation is really only 4% of the entire American population is vegan. And when I say vegan, I'm not, if you're a vegan, I'm not hating on that movement. If you're a vegan and you don't care, I eat meat, we're aligned. But if you're a vegan and you think I'm evil for eating meat, I'm talking about you. 4% out of 327 million people are in alignment with that movement. And of that 4%, they're not all purists that they think I'm wrong for eating meat. Like I had a conversation with a a possible ghostwriter for, for what we're up to. And she said, you know, I asked her, I said, what about politics and personal beliefs? How does that get into play with somebody who's writing a book for me if we're not aligned? And she goes, well, I can already tell you we're not aligned on one thing. And I said, oh, what is that? She said, I'm vegan. And I said, oh, interesting. Why are you vegan? She said, because of industrialized agriculture. And I said, well, actually we are aligned. I don't buy industrial agriculture meat. So we are aligned, so there's no conflict there. But to my point, if 4% of the population is labeled vegan, how much of that is vegan extremism where you're evil, you eat meat, and yet they're so they're part of something that's so loud. You know, it's like that new documentary that came out on Netflix, which I haven't watched and I don't want to, but I might just so I can respond to it. You are what you eat. That's vegan propaganda. It's loud. 
It's loud because anything for the consumption of meat doesn't come out on major platforms. You have to go search in Amazon documentaries and hopefully they've had enough marketing capital to at least bring it across your radar, you know, and most don't because they're not funded by those well-organized groups like UN, World Economic Forum, or the WHO. And I'm just going to say it. Most of these are Hollywood Hollywood mm-hmm. produced. Yeah, 100%. And, and like not everybody who engages in the Hollywood industry is by a definition a Satanist or evil or I don't believe that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But there are gatekeepers. There's lots of gatekeepers in those studios. Yeah, but here, let me just say this. If you're in Hollywood and you're not that, you know it's happening and you're choosing to turn a blind eye probably for your career or something else mm. because you do know it's happening. We know of plenty of instances where people have left Hollywood because they discovered it and they had a spine and a backbone to say, I'm getting the fuck out because I'm not supporting this. Yeah. So if you're in Hollywood and that's not you, you're the silent majority that's allowing it to happen. And there are some that are now engaging with organizations that are funded well enough to compete with, but not nearly the same as a, a you know company that could produce, say, a Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. That just takes so much money because it takes so many people to make a movie like that. Mm-hmm. You're getting real high quality movies out of places like Angel Studios. Yes. Um, they've made TV shows. Uh, one of them was, I think, called The Chosen. Yep. My goodness, that just yep. moved me to tears. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Chosen, and obviously they've done a lot of the uh, movies that have come out against uh, tra- human trafficking that received a lot of blowback. And so there are. We will get to the B block of the show. There's there's light at the end of the tunnel, and that light is is God's light. But we're still we need to recognize the issues that are going on. Here's yeah. a little over a two minute clip about Cargill that started up real quick. Here's about a two minute clip about Cargill. This is from a documentary called Bad Karma. Remember the Cargill McMillans, owners of the agribusiness company Cargill. There are not too many photos of them online because they are notoriously private. You would be too if your company was labeled as the worst company in the world due to its destruction of ecosystems like the Amazon and the Sahadu to grow soy for animal feed in Europe and China. Last month at COP, the Cargill family took a big step towards repairing their bad karma. Their company, Cargill, committed to ending the destruction not only of forests like the Amazon, but other critical ecosystems like the Sahadu and the Pantanal in Brazil, Argentina and Uruguay by 2025. Huge, right? So then why are indigenous groups still angry? Because Cargill, despite their big promise, have not yet withdrawn their support for the Ferro Grão, a proposed mega freight railway project that would cut through the heart of the Amazon. The proposed 1,000-kilometer railway designed to transport soy to northern ports will impact six indigenous territories, including those of the Munduruku, Panara, Kayapo, and Shingu indigenous land. If built, it would destroy 800 square miles of Amazon primary rainforest. That's an area 14 times the size of Cargill's hometown of Minneapolis, including lands that are currently federally protected as indigenous territory. The roads built in order to complete this project will open these lands up to more land grabbers and illegal miners and loggers who already invade and burn and murder those who seek to protect it. No wonder indigenous people are so angry. 
The Cargill-McMillan family have a moral duty to live up to their grand promise of zero deforestation. But given the company's history of repeatedly making and breaking promises, it's hard not to be skeptical. And like all New Year's resolutions, the proof will be in the days and months that follow. To the Cargill-McMillan family, I say, withdrawing your support for the Ferrogrill would be a huge step in the right direction and would signal to the world that you plan on keeping your word. Why not be the family that changed the course of history and became leaders in conservation rather than destruction? Yeah. <laughs> they could. It's what it is. It's true. It's what it is. Yeah, and they could. So what Passio said earlier is that uh, a lot of these, I mean, elite intelligentsia, typically they are from legacy families. Mm-hmm. Cargo is a pretty, pretty legacy family at this point, mm -hmm. up yep. there with the Rockefellers. Mm -hmm. You yep. know, um, so the, the Cargo family is definitely in that legacy group that could be in the in the occult. You know, mm -hmm. uh, could be into some interesting rituals and information and <laughs> and knowledge and practices because uh, I believe Cargill is one of the. Maybe I'm wrong about this, but I have another clip from Dave Asprey talking about earthworm seizures, and I want to oh, yeah. I want to play this one as well because this is these this is all part of what's happening if we don't recognize what's going on. See the study about earthworms? No, I am. So Try it again. See the study about earthworms? No, I am. So people have been saying forever, like, this is bad for the soil, and there's all kinds of bacterial reasons for it. They just discovered that at levels 300 times below the allowable level, it causes seizures in earthworms. Our entire food web is based on earthworms in soil, but the EPA doesn't measure any pesticide or herbicide effect on any insect except honeybees. Honeybees don't touch soil ever unless they fall down. So they're saying it doesn't cause harm, but every creepy crawly that lives in dirt that makes life, that makes forests rich, they're all based on that. And if levels 300 times below what's allowed causes earthworm seizures, that means even if there's no spray where you are, your worms are already sick, which means your soil is sick, which means the food from your garden will have less minerals. This is a big problem. The people who are doing this, it is my sincere hope that we put them up on charges for crimes against humanity. There is no no excuse. And this is why Monsanto tried to change its name. It's why Bayer bought Monsanto. And I hope lawsuits bury that company. It is evil and it needs to be stopped. Or does it or is it just doing the devil's work? Advertently or inadvertently? Yeah. It, well, through through deceit and just, you know, being well organized to convince that this is where things need to go. And let's put a little bit of responsibility on ourselves. You still control it based off of where you spend your money. And so it's like we had the conversation, uh, I think it was the last episode about people who are overweight. It's not your fault, but it's your responsibility. What's happening isn't your fault because the powers that be, but it is your responsibility. If you're listening to us, you now have no excuse because there's an awareness. Now it's time to change the behavior. We understand, you and I, through our background in fitness and coaching, that behavioral change science dictates that you take one small step at a time. And so that's what we advocate for. S start with one thing. Like I said earlier, you may have to buy some things from the grocery store, but there are many other things that you don't that you can support local.
So you're now aware. Behavioral change science just suggests pick one thing, like those girls with the sodas, the 12 sodies. I've had I've had clients that drank 12 sodas a day, and that's why they're that's why they were my clients. Hunt over 100 pounds to lose. My suggestion was drink 10. Can you drink 10? Yeah, I can do 10. Next time, can you drink eight? Yeah, I can do eight. This was like a week, right? So I'm just peeling it back a couple at a time because who they're identifying as isn't going to work to just change it. That's, you know, the whole time we're having all these conversations, I'm thinking, Mal, how, how strong the ego must be to be a Satanist, to think that only your thoughts are reality and nothing else. Like what a powerful ego. No, that's the, well, I want to acknowledge that that's something they're not to engage in. They're there to peddle that as much as possible. Right, right. Okay. And at the same time, I agree with your uh, assessment that it is a major ego trip mm-hmm. to believe that yeah. you are the determiner of what is stupid, what is right, and what serves you above all. And I believe mm-hmm. that in general, a Satanist believes that their needs are more important than the needs of the collective. Mm-hmm. which to me is a, is a, is an ego problem and Mark Passio labeled it uh more accurately as psychopathic um mm. and you you'll recognize you'll recognize this one it's a it's a mental illness i mean that's what it really is and this one you have to be imbalanced in the mind in the psyche to believe that that's true now you know where those clips come from Mm-hmm. It's yep. Mark Passio. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's uh, I it's, do remember those. it's it's Mark Passio, and he's <laughs> talking about Satanism. Exactly. And all the connections. There. You have yeah. to be imbalanced in the mind and the psyche to believe that that's true. Yeah. You have to yeah. be imbalanced in the mind and the psyche to believe that there's no such thing as objective truth. Mm-hmm. You have to be imbalanced and uh, in in the mind and in the psyche to believe that you are gonna outsmart the na- outsmart nature. Yeah. And you're going to hack your way into global health. Would it's you just, say it's just not going to happen? Would you say narcissistic at the highest level? <laughs> yes. And you've I've heard you know coming from the self-development world and the personal development world and having had experiences of working with both people who are narcissistic and people who have lived with narcissists. I've heard I've heard therapists say that's one of the most destructive mental imbalances because a narcissist will only show up in your office out of manipulation, either for themselves or the person that is having the problem. And so here you have this person sitting in your office who they are so – what's the intelligentist word that they used? Intelligentsia. They're the intelligentsia mixed with the narcissism they will portray all of these emotions of being sorry as a manipulation tool to maintain the relationship that just never ends. And so when you meet somebody who comes out of a, an abusive narcissistic relationship, the trauma is real. Been there? Well, man, I'm, I, I won't speak too many details. Yeah, sure. But within the last 14 months, I had two people who were significant in my life in one way or another accuse me of being a narcissist and mm. actively try to destroy my reputation in, in, in the public sphere. 
And, and you know what's interesting is narcissism is typically accompanied very strongly with gaslighting. Yeah, yes, the belief, like trying to convince you that your world is not real and that what you're experiencing is not real. Mm-hmm. So me, I'm a wellness, I'm a wellness guy. I was like, shit, <laughs> maybe I am, maybe I am. And I went and saw a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. and I talked to this person about it. And I was like, am I a narcissist? And he, and, and they laughed at me. <laughs> they laughed at me, and not in a way that was meant to belittle me. Right. It was a light chuckle, like, my man, most narcissists don't go to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> they don't come in asking if they're a narcissist. You know what I'm saying? Did you come here on your own free will? Yeah. There's your answer. <laughs> uh-huh. And I was like, huh. And he goes, now let me let me t- give you some insight. I said, okay, I'm, I'm listening. Cause I'm like, I'm so, I'm going to say, not to say anti-medicine. I'm just so like last resort. Yeah. I'm like in emergency cases only. I'm, I'm pushing that out as far as I can. And there was a period of time where I was unable to regulate myself that caused me enough concern to reach out to a psychiatrist and not just a psychologist. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was ready to walk that path if it was the right thing clinically. And um, he said, "Let me assure you, you're healthy. You're not a narcissist. And I want you to know that what you're expressing, symptom-wise, are what is known are symptoms of narcissistic abuse." Wow. And I was like, "Oh my god!" So now I, I went on this like tear of, of now I got to learn about it because, you know, I just, that's, that's the kind of person I am. I, if I don't understand something, I really want to understand it, you know, mm-hmm. inner, inner understand. And, uh, I went looking into it. I said, wow, I have been experiencing narcissistic abuse for a lot longer than I realized because one of these people has been in my life for 25 years and that this other person those two things overlapped and I, I attached it to the new person or the person who was later in the timeline. And that was just like the fracture that got down to the deeper layers of where this really started. And that's why I was being so unregulated was because I had been experiencing it for a long time and got a double dose of it, of it hard. And it, it did fracture my psyche. Yeah. And I have re built that psyche and I'm continuing to rebuild. I still have moments where I'm like experiencing anxiety or experiencing those, those gaslit beliefs that were fed to me that I am this person that I didn't, nobody's ever said that to me. And like, maybe these two people do see a side of me that literally no one else that I've ever met can see. Right. But, but I was open to the possibility that it was being true. So to close a loop on that, I absolutely believe that psychopathic narcissists. So let me just say this, the game, the game of economy and social rise Mm -hmm. favors that type of behavior. Right. Yeah. The incentive structures built into the economic and social games Mm -hmm. favor the reptilian mindset of survival of the fittest of social Darwinism. Yeah. Of of me. It's all me to get to where I want to go. 
And because in general, anything that's created externally is a direct reflection of the inner quality of the person or people who made it. Mm -hmm. Well, there should be very little surprise if the people who created the economy and social systems engage in social Darwinism have created the setups and systems and structures that feed back and benefit the behaviors that they themselves express. Mm-hmm. Which is why so many people say it's hard to be a good person and get ahead because you have morals and ethics and there are just things you aren't willing to do. You're not willing to deceive. You're willing to stand on the truth. And unfortunately, there are a lot of a lot of the systems that we have put into place don't at a certain level stop favoring truth and honesty and they start to favor deception and manipulation Mm. and many of i mean nudging itself which is a behavior science term that started in marketing that has its roots in history in uh uh, uh, psychology from god who's the super famous psychologist uh, that everybody tends to, Freud, uh, Sigmund Freud. Oh, yeah. A lot of this has its roots and origin in all, in all of those things. So manipulation is actually built into the modern economy, and in a way we manipulate man, mana. Mana is the hand. So if you get a manicure, you didn't know you're getting a, a word lesson. If you get a manicure, you cure your hands. If you get a pedicure, you cure your feet. So to manipulate means to move or change with the hand Hmm. you see so Mm -hmm. manipulation is where i'm actively through my will Mm -hmm. changing you oftentimes without your knowledge and consent and the ways that people do that are oftentimes through deception or through engaging in subconscious pushing or nudging into these beliefs so um we see that we see that manipulation and in marketing and nudging in label laws people are so confused about what they're buying and what they're getting because they have manipulated the label laws to nudge people into what they're wanting to have them uh do and to close the close the loop on the satanist if i were the devil part of this show Mm -hmm. i want to say the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing people he didn't exist. Mm. So there may be people that are propagating this unknowingly because they don't even believe that the devil does exist. Mm-hmm. They, if they're atheist, for example, mm-hmm. then, and if they don't, they, they believe in the absence of a God and creator that it's all random. Well, then the opposite must be true. There must be no devil. Right. You know, there must be no no destructive force to counter the creative force that exists. So mm-hmm. I don't need to care. I have I have an absence of care of the the repercussions of this because it I can't believe that there is a force that could be using me to express itself. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes these light and dark it, they're going to express in nature one way or the other. The sun and the, like the earth's going to turn, you know, yep. uh, the, the grass is going to grow. Like there's just things that are going to express on the creative side. And then there's going to be things that decompose when things mm-hmm. die. Like mm-hmm. when things die, they decompose. There's nothing that you and I can do outside of manipulation to stop these things, these natural processes from taking place. So you 
if your inner world is unchecked, you may be expressing a side of consciousness mm-hmm. that is the dark, destructive kind without your knowledge. So I'm not saying that everybody who works for Cargill or Monsanto or even the World Economic Forum, I'm not saying that each of them all are Satanists. What I'm saying is that these beliefs have an origin. These beliefs are propagated and people hear this information and beliefs and they go, you know, that makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. And so I will continue to, I'll continue to propagate that. And that is leading to some issues around the world. And so we have Ava Vlardingerbroek, who is reporting on the U.S. and European plight. America and Europe are facing... Let's try that again. America and Europe are facing incredibly similar problems. And that's because we are under attack by the same sick globalist agenda. As a result of that, my continent finds itself in rough waters, and that is to put it mildly. Europe is being flooded with immigrants from non-Western countries. Our national identities are being destroyed and replaced. Our sovereignty is given up to bureaucrats, unelected bureaucrats, may I add, in Brussels. Our churches are closing their doors, and we are spending billions and billions of euros on a non-existing climate crisis and a war in Ukraine that isn't even ours. In fact, I would go as far as to say that we are paying for our own destruction. That sounds like something the devil would have you do. Oh, yeah. If he was going to destroy you, might as well have you funded as well. (laughs) My, uh, so I have family and I'm not going to go into details. They really should be the ones to describe the details of this, but the Bundy ranchers in 2014, that's my uncle. Uh, Cliven Bundy is my grandma's brother. And um, he, you know, you have these grazing rights, these grazing fees that, that, uh, that <clears throat> their family established in the early 18, uh, the late 1800s. And as long as those are paid and, and, and uh, you're doing your part, right, paying the grazing fee, they can never be taken away. You don't have any other rights to the land other than you can raise cattle on it and manage it for livestock and wildlife. Well, he discovered that the money he was paying into the federal government for these fees was then being turned around and used to fund other special interest groups against him. So he stopped paying them and started paying them to the state. And it's my understanding the state was – cashing those for a minute and then they stopped and so you know i can draw conclusions that are probably false but that's sort of the origin that i understand of that but to the point he discovered like why would i pay my fees to an agency that's then using that money whoa there's some new stuff going on here. <laughs> what is that i don't know how i did that but Man, that was incredible. Uh, <laughs> video version people will see. AJ just had a firework explosion, or uh, and we have no idea how he did that. I wish I was talking about something more profound, but anyway, um, why would I pay those fees to an organization that's going to turn around and use those fees to regulate me out of management, yeah. out of the out of the business? So yeah. why would you a, pay for is, your own the, destruction? Yeah, what a great tool! What a great tool, devil! Man, just 
like like he's like he's the eternal trickster or something. Hmm. Like he's just had all Weird. this practice on how to how to create mischief and chaos and and deception. Um, and in the case that some of that mischief, chaos, and conception were to lead to an emergency, I think it would be before we go to the break. I'm going to play one of our clips from an emergency expert because the enemy could engage into some larger, a larger tactics to create a, an emergency. And so this, I didn't catch his name. He's emergency expert on Instagram and he was described, he's describing, uh, uh, how to watch out for FEMA, like what FEMA's, Mm. uh, monitoring and tracking for 2024. So here's just a little bit of advice um, from the emergency expert, just in the case that the enemy wants to have a go at it again in 2024. Here's about a minute and 17 seconds. What's going on, everybody? Some information. Yeah. Everybody, some information that I just want to pass along, give to you guys um, about FEMA, because a lot of people don't understand how FEMA operates. So FEMA provides training for things that they see on the near future. They use predictive modeling, threat assessment, um, following trends to look at possible scenarios that might be coming up. This year, the first three scenarios that they're offering to emergency managers like myself in these virtual tabletop exercises is infrastructure blackouts, social unrest and mass casualty mass shooter incidents specifically focused around malls so given that information i would highly recommend you to think about your planning processes your systems and how you're just going to conduct yourself in terms of one of those three or more occurring in your daily life something to think about something to keep in mind when you see FEMA putting information out and just like that AJ I'd like to thank you for your courage and I would like to thank all of the producers of the serious fun I'm gonna do that again I'm gonna do let me take two everybody I'd like to thank all the producers of the feed the people podcast and this is where we say thank you Oh, dear listener, you can tell I'm doing so many shows lately, aren't you? (laughs) Can't tell where one show stops and another begins, but that's okay, because we're here to say thank you for producing episode 12 of the Feed the People podcast. We are eternally grateful. It is because of you, your direct support, that we are able to bring this value to you every week, week after week to inform you, to educate you, and to entertain you about what's happening with your food and your food supply chain. And we have some treasure donors that we would like to thank. First of all, I'd like to give another producer shout-out to Utah Beef Producers for their kind, kind treasure donation of $250. Uh, There's been some major updates happening at Utah Beef Producers. I saw a video that Henry put out recently. It's coming together. Timing's looking good. Any updates on Utah Beef Producers you'd like to tell the people here? Man, yeah, it's pretty exciting. We uh, last week we had a meeting with City Council, 
city council was able to fund a, a, a small chunk of change. It's a fraction of what's needed here, but it's great to have some support. But what was even better is after the, the uh, city council voted unanimously here in Richfield that they were going to support this, every citizen in the room started clapping. And after the meeting was over, the city council was like, we have never had that happen. So I think there's a tremendous amount of excitement and, and, and gratitude from the community in the Severe Valley of Utah for something like this coming. We're an ag, ag place, and so to have a slaughterhouse being built here is great. The other cool thing is we are moving forward with some innovations around wastewater treatment and uh, solid waste treatment that in some cases we're the first slaughterhouse in the nation to implement these tools. And what? Yes, and in the world for another. So what that looks like is all of our solid waste, anything that would otherwise go to the dump, like spinal column, heads, hooves, hides, all of those things go into a machine that becomes biochar. Biochar, when you understand its value for soil and soil amendments, is a huge value add. So now rather than contributing to an issue, we're turning it into something usable. So that's one really exciting thing. On the other side too, Utah is in a desert and drought is a very real problem here. We will have an on-site wastewater treatment plant that starting out will save 8 million gallons of water a year. And down the road, we can add some other pieces to it that would actually put us 100% off the grid and recycle the water indefinitely, purified, um, with about a 12,000-gallon per quarter contribution just to manage evaporation. So it's a big deal because the EPA is coming down the line with some water laws that are going to make it really hard for the 2,500 plants we have left in the entire nation. This is a solution we hope to present that will help people. So things are going really good here. Holy cow. Holy cow. Holy cow. <laughs> first in the world so, and first, first in the United States. Yep. Yep. And so it's a big deal. What Henry's doing here is pretty fascinating. It's going to kind of change the game and show a lot of people what's possible. Uh, and not just on the environmental impact side, but these small processing facilities have to be, you know, have to have make revenue and it's really hard to do. So this gives us additional places to earn revenue that if we can help other slaughterhouses across the nation see this, we can start securing these guys so that we don't lose them. Leading by example, man, and that's what we do on this show. We lead by example. We lead with our actions, and if you are donating your time, your talent, or your treasure, you are putting, you're voting with your dollars, and you're voting with your action. You're putting your money and your actions where your mouth is, where your values are. So take action out there. So we have, uh, of course, uh, shout out to uh, Mr. Nate Baumgartner for his treasure donation. Excuse me, his uh, talent donation in the form of the music for this beautiful podcast here. Shout out Nate Dog. Um, <laughs> Nate Dog is such a good dude. 
I saw Nate Dog in Richmond here. My wife and I went back to Richmond. We saw our friends. We were able to close that chapter. We were able to, you know, gather our things. And Nate Dog was there with his brawn, with his talent, with his time to help your boy move while my wife could just hang out and, and point and go here and push there. And we he just manned up with me. And man, thank you. Awesome. Nate Dog for being both a producer and a friend, a super supportive friend of this show. Uh, another another way that you can donate is with your time. So if you're hearing this and you're listening to it and you've made it the hour and 12 minutes into this show, thank you for donating your time. If you don't mind, take the extra time. Rate this podcast five stars. Leave a kind comment. Share it on your social media. And man, we'd really love it if you shared this podcast with a hundred of your best friends. We'll take two. We'll start. Well, you can start with one or two, but we'd love it if over time you shared this with a hundred of your best friends and said, "Hey, the Feed the People podcast is keeping it real. They're giving me information. Hell, they were even talking about Satan on the last show. I didn't think we'd get into that in a food podcast. Yet here we are. AJ's got his tinfoil hat. It seemed appropriate, and it sort of just made it. The show just made itself with your, if I were the devil remake so i said oh i know exactly where we're going to take this show um another one of our favorite things to do on this show is play our favorite game and so aj i must ask you is this a bop bop or flop actually you know what Uh, hold on i'm gonna give you a choice okay i'll give you a choice Uh, and it's and it's mood okay one of them is like punch you in the mouth but fits the fits the bill and the other is like uh wholesome punch me in the mouth bro all right aj is this a bop or flop i'll try it again How we doing, AJ? Bro, bop. Bop, bop, bop. We're just going to keep bopping it, my man. Perpetuated ever since the genesis improperly peer to peer the emphasis Satoshi's penmanship wrote the white paper nine pages it's been monetizing ever since menace menacing we from on Wall Street shit post often dunking on these birds and they tardiness is costly they get the price that they deserve ain't you heard they quit pumping really ain't nothing new till it suddenly a guy candle comes rushing through let's go dang the artist's name is just Richard Richard, dude. Shout out Richard. Dude, way to rip it, Richard. That's sick. 
God candle. And it's just, it's just so good. And I'm just like, how much more? You know, I'm just, this is so, this is hitting so hard. I'm just, Shout good. out Richard, dude. God Wait candle. Up, God like candle, that. man. Thank you for your talent donation and for participating in the Value for Value music revolution. You will see a donation headed your way, Richard. That I can awesome. promise you. And that is clearly a bop. Yep. And he also makes a point in the, if you really listen to the lyrics, AJ, AJ doesn't. He's just like, this is clearly a bop. <laughs> He's, he mentions Bitcoin. And one extra piece of value that I would like to share with the audience is that there is an entire movement happening under the surface of podcasting that the average listener won't yet know about. And the reason that it's important is because there has been a concerted effort to limit the speech and the connectivity of podcasts like this with you, the listener. The initial podcasting revolution that happened in the late 90s, early 2000s, was intentionally made. The RSS feed was made by Adam Curry and several other developers with the intent to help you go direct to consumer with your information with no middleman. And then somewhere along the way, companies like Apple, companies like Spotify, realized that they could sort of co-opt this technology and they could create the ecosystems through which the what is known as the index so the index is where you are found. So if you aren't on the index, my man, you ain't getting found. Mm. You see? So mm -hmm. if they can remove you from the index, then they can remove you from the distribution networks. Hmm. And once that became clear, that was what was happening around 2019 when certain uh, people, like them or not, people like Alex Jones, were getting kicked off of Apple and kicked off of YouTube. This wasn't that long ago, folks. Nope. It really wasn't that long ago before we even cared about who was on these platforms, but somebody cared some way along, somewhere along the way, and they started kicking people off. And that was like, well, that's not, that's not going to happen. So Adam Curry and his developers created Podcasting 2.0. And so now you can go to Podcast Index on Podcasting 2.0, and they have restarted the indexing process and are decentralizing podcast indexing so no one can be kicked off. You might not be able awesome. to distribute on Apple. You might not be able to distribute on Spotify, but the technology now exists that allows us to go directly to you. So if you want to make sure that you can find us and listen to us week after week, I highly, highly suggest you download either Podverse, P-O-D-V-E-R-S-E, Podverse, or Fountain, both of which allow you to engage with us. You can upload some dollars onto your account. You will basically buy Bitcoin, and you can send us bits of Satoshis, which are the singular mm -hmm. units of Bitcoin, as your donation. Those are known as cool. boosts or boostograms. So now you can send us directly to our podcast through the uh, Podverse app or the Fountain app, you can send us Bitcoin and we will read it and say thank you. And even if that Bitcoin is only imagine, like coming out to like a dollar, we still greatly appreciate it. 
We yep. will keep all of that Bitcoin for a rainy day in the case that there is something happens with our money and, and it gets a little funky. We'll actually have units of Bitcoin that will become you know, more valuable over time. And so if you want to participate in the new revolution, the direct to consumer value for value revolution that is happening, download one of those apps and a little uh, cool. uh, inform side information to you. Fountain will actually stream you Satoshis for listening to certain shows. You can get wow. paid to listen to podcasts, everybody. Bet you didn't know that that was possible. And if you're really smart, you could set up a little podcast listening farm just like people set up Bitcoin mining, you can set up a couple of phones and you can have them over there streaming your favorite podcast. All, uh, maybe not your favorite, but some podcasts that'll pay you for streaming. And you can, wow. you can just be collecting Bitcoin in your Bitcoin wallet. How about that? Bet you didn't know that. That's just cool. somebody out there doing God's work. Adam, <laughs> Adam Curry got saved. He got saved and, then, and, and just started doing God's work. And so uh, since we're in the back half of the show... I have another clip of someone who uh, was a notorious trickster and notorious, uh, 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 in his words, depraved man who has been saved by God. And this is Shia LaBeouf on God. Oh, yeah. Great. My opinion about God before my world had crumbled was art, love, and God, they all mean the same thing. They're synonymous. And I had also been told my whole life, your life is your life. You have to make with it what you can, you know? You gotta be a good guy, and then you gotta get married, and then you gotta get a house, and you gotta get a job, and do good at your job, and like, your life is your life, and yeah. things will work out if you put effort in, and, and I always really felt that. And it made it hard to believe in God, because it felt like my managerial skills are what are going to amount to a fulfilled existence. Yeah. When all of my designs failed, when all of my plans went out the window, when my life had led to serious infliction of pain and damage on other people, I threw up my hands like my plans are garbage and I don't want to be here anymore. Pain made me willing to go about this in a different way than I had previously. The, the news that had come out has been like I've been abusive to women and I've been shooting dogs and I've been willingly giving women STDs and like there's, it's disgusting. It's depraved. I felt deep shame, deep guilt. Shame like I had never experienced before. Kind of shame, you forget how to breathe. It was, it was seeing other people who had sinned beyond anything I could even conceptualize also being found in Christ that made me feel like, okay, well, that, that gives me hope. I started hearing experiences of other like depraved people who had found their way in this. The gospel gave me this, um, this invite to just let go. I came from the school of God helps those who helps themselves. That's not what I found. God comes to those who ask. That's what I've experienced. Me too. Mm -hmm. I had that moment last year on the mm -hmm. other side of both of those experiences that I described mm -hmm. earlier in the show. I said, man, a lot of my managerial skills and my attempt to control everything, even though if I, I thought I was a God-loving man, I just, I, I believe that he was going to support my plans. Yeah. And uh, what I have experienced this year is a lot of the turning that over and saying, you know, bring me the people and bring me the people that need my medicine and need, need the work that I'm here to, to perform on your behalf. Mm -hmm. And uh, shortly after that, I got a call from AJ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Shortly after that, I got a call from AJ, and this all started. You know, Henry, we, uh, we did a Instagram live yesterday with Henry because I'm, I'm <clears throat> wanting to help him get more exposure with people that care about what he's up to so they can follow this journey. Because as soon as I hit certain, there's going to be a point as a strategist for him, and as the app starts taking over, that I won't be here. And it's important that 
uh, people can keep following that journey that he's doing here so they can be duplicated. And, and this guy has the skills to even duplicate this in areas of the country that really need it. If, if those opportunities come up anyway, you know, he, he, uh, he's got so much wisdom. And one of the things that um, he says is I, we are not on God's, we, God is not on our journey. We are on his. And that's so true. I had a conversation. I've probably told it on this show before, but I had a conversation with a with a friend of mine. His name's Harvey Scott. He works with White Oaks Pastures and Redmond, uh, Redmond Real Salt and those different companies. And we were having a conversation about a year ago, and I kept saying my I and me in terms of this mission that I've that I'm on that God has called me on. And he said, you know, AJ, with all due respect, you're it's not just your mission. And the way he said it is how it landed for me. And I don't think he meant it the way I had heard it, but I needed to hear it that way. And it caused me to pause and, and think about, you know, what he just said. Because up to that point, I felt like I was alone. I felt like I was the only one taking this on. And what I came away with from that conversation was how big my ego must be to think that I'm the only person God has called to solve this issue that's facing our nation. To To... To, you know, it's like, really? You think you're the only one that's going to fix a food supply chain that's billions and billions of dollars with major corporations behind it and Satanists potentially in some areas that are making the decision and you're the only one? And I was like, oh, man, I'm glad I got a glimpse of the ego there because that's not what I wanted. And so then I took a step back and prayed about it and said, OK, so what is my role then? Cause there was kind of like this, this identity, like I thought I'm, I'm, I'm the guy, I got to get this done. First of all, a massive amount of relief to recognize that it's not all on my shoulders. And so I came away with, oh, well, a gift that God has given me is my ability to bring people together to connect. And so in, in recognizing that, I understand that my role is to bring the right people together to get onto this journey that I'm on with God to give these opportunities. You know, we, we are facing a daunting challenge and we are going to lose some battles. That's for sure. We are going to lose, we're losing battles already. You know, there are people dying of heart attacks at younger ages and cancers from things that were pushed over the last three years that that's accelerating. Um, there are other things happening that is causing us to lose some of these battles. Ultimately, I do have faith that we win the war, and that's because, you know, I heard a clip that one of the good things that COVID did was push out all of the people uh, that are on God's journey. It pushed them out of those, you know, scientists and teachers and business leaders and people that can organize were forced out of that system that's being that's corrupt and manipulated so that we can come together in a parallel economy in a parallel uh, uh, to take parallel action to what's going on and sometimes I try to think how can we move away from trying to fix what's here and change what's here and instead let's just not even play in that sandbox. Let's just go, let's just go do it differently. And and those who are hearing this message will follow uh, because it's speaking to them. 
And I don't got to worry. We, we shouldn't even worry about what the other guys are doing. Who cares that those systems exist? Frankly, I'm kind of glad they're here right now because we would be starving already. But rather than try to play in that game, let's just go start a new one and, and play with people that we know are playing for the right reason, have the right intentions in mind. You know what uh, narcissists don't say? Hmm. I made a mistake and I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, true story. I made a mistake. I was wrong, and I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I mean, you mentioned the 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 the, the jabby jabs. Mm-hmm. There are still people that are unwilling to say I was wrong, yep. and I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And collectively, that's uh, that's a problem. It is right. It knowingly or unknowingly, you're contributing to the problem, even if you. Even if you did it from a place where you really thought you were doing the right thing at the time, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Hmm. And we're closing. We got a couple of more clips here, but I told, I told everybody we'd offer some solutions. We'd offer some solutions, and the easiest, best way to combat this on a uh, small level is to go out and just do some good deeds, man. Just go do something good for somebody. Not for you, just for somebody else. And here is a man named Justin Noop on Instagram, at justin.knoop. And here's just a little little good deed for the day. This is just straight up powerful. Watch this. This is just straight up powerful. Watch this. What's one thing I can do to make me have a better day? Oh my God, you definitely get me a room at the Carlisle. It's a real dirt cheap hotel. How much is it? How much it's you like forty dollars. Okay. I'm gonna get you some food and a drink. Oh my God, yes. Food and a drink. Yes, sir. Thank What's you. What size are you wear? I wear eight and a half. Not, your feet you feel like they hurt. They do hurt. It's my hip actually, sir. Oh yeah? Yes, sir. Uh forty dollars for a room? Yes, sir, please. And it is truly Yes, sir. He heard me. I'm so glad he heard me. He heard me. Don't cry, bro. He heard me. $50 for your hotel, all right? He heard me. Thank you. You're welcome, bro. He heard me. Don't cry, man. Here, take the 50, get a room, all right? Yes. God bless you, God sir. Bless. Thank you. Thank you so much, God, and you. Thank you. Mm, that is powerful. Listen, guys, God hears prayers. So... Um, man, I saw that clip, man. Gives me goosebumps again. <laughs> every time, every time. And, you know, we're going to, uh, we're inviting people to do good deeds and also want to invite people into the mindset, into the, into the image of what could be. Uh, and this is a rewild Carly Rose. And let's see if the clip speaks for itself. Can we just talk about how in Europe they literally have vending machines with grass-fed meat and organs and the meat is from the farm up the road from cows that have grazed their entire lives on grass that has not been sprayed. Who else is ready to see these all over the world? Man, wouldn't that be something? It's something. Get some grass-fed, grass-finished vending machines. Mm-hmm. And We're working on that. And until then, until then, here's a little quick one-minute clip on something that you can do to help uh, help yourself in the meantime. Until we get those grass-fed, grass-finished vending machines, you can try this instead. 
you uh, put food in a can and you pressure can it, all of the oxygen, like in these mason jars, the oxygen is removed from the can and then that lid seals on top of it. Got it. So all of the enemies of food preservation are not inside that jar. And you would still have to put it in a refrigerator, though, right? No. no. It's shelf-stable, and that's the benefit of canning. Really? Yep. Right. So if you have electricity go out and you lose all your freezer stash, you still have low acidic foods like meat and vegetables on the shelf. My kids might hate me. I might get rid of that freezer downstairs. Right. To start. You're outage proofing <laughs> your freezer when you learn to can. Wow. Yeah. I love that. How That's long do you cool. think when you can meat, when you can, how long do you think it'll actually last for? Okay. So the, the, the truth is forever because there's nothing in that jar that can have the food um, build back, grow bacteria. The challenge is over time, uh, texture will degrade and flavor will degrade. And sometimes color. Yes, and color, yes. So sometimes it won't be appetizing to eat. So in an emergency, you'll eat but it. But you'll eat it. Uh, but in general, you want to you try to eat everything within a year to 18 months. Canning. Mm-hmm. Classic. We, uh, we've canned, we bottled eggs called water glassing, which actually doesn't require any... Uh, like the the traditional canning method where you heat it up, <clears throat> you put eggs in there with some lime, and they're like stable for twenty five years. What? So we've got like ten half gallon jars full of eggs. So you know in the summer our chickens overproduce that more than we can eat. So we put them in. It's called water glassing. So I love it. We bought the uh, Harvest Right freeze dryer to start using that. So self reliance. That's the name of the game. Twenty twenty four. Good deeds. Self-reliance. How about some humor? Oh, yeah. Got to have humor. <laughs> it's coming. That's humorous. <laughs> he tried to fast himself out of being gay, I remember one time. He How tried, many days? I think he did almost 40 days or 20-something <laughs> days. Isn't that crazy? How much weight did he lose? He Jeez. lost it. Oh, he was ribs and dick by the end of it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> It's the it's the second wave of laughing from Joe Rogan for me. Yeah, oh, he yeah. was ribs and dick by the end of it, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh man! So and I, I got one more for you. Uh, this is from the Serious Fun podcast. Uh, this was I'll just give it a give it away. This was a satirical commercial that we created, um, and I think it, it's related. And this will be our last clip for the day. Feeling overwhelmed by all your responsibilities? Wondering, what's the meaning of life? Ready to quit living, but not ready to die? Worry no more, because EctoLife got you covered. Introducing the EctoLife Upgrade Program, powered by useless people. EctoLife Upgrade allows for those left behind by modern society to be of actual use for AI's utopia. We've partnered with Whack Arnold's to provide your necessary nutrients delivered directly to your pod. A convenient solution for everyone, from elite gamer veterans to sody drinking superfats. With the help of a delicate layer of engineered enzymes, your human waste becomes a renewable energy source to power the AI, combat climate change, and save the planet. Enhance your pod with our immersive experience kit complete with a virtual headset and haptic suit so you can go everywhere without going anywhere. Ectolife, reinventing living. Which brings me to my last point. One of our other tools besides goodness, preparedness, and humor, mockery. 
Mm, Make fun of them, dude. Make fun of all their stupid plans. Make fun of those people who are saying that we're just a bunch of tinfoil hat wearing humans that don't know nothing. We're just a bunch of no good, dumb farm people. Man, that's why we've got the tinfoil hat on. We're putting it to them, AJ. I want to encourage anybody that ever thought they should have a tinfoil cowboy hat, please make one and tag me. Do I've it. got so many people saying, I'm going to make one. I'm like, do it and tag us. I would love to see a wave of mockery around being a conspiracy theorist. By the way, was that Ecto Life? Was that Hallie? Oh, yeah. I thought so. We've been, we've Still just had talented. a lot going on. I promise Barb is coming back. The few people know the, the, the magic of Barb, but she is, she will be back. Awesome. We will have, we're going to have a new studio. We're going to have a lot more time, a lot more energy to put into some of the, the fun bits. Um, awesome. But that was Hallie, and that was a satire off of a real commercial uh, where they're putting babies in pods and growing babies in pods. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen yep. this, just check it out on. And I believe uh, Ectolife is the name of the proposed company. So it was their new program, their, their upgrade program. Upgrade. <laughs> for all the Sodi drinking super fats out there. <laughs> Uh, well, AJ, we covered some ground, obviously. Uh, I think this one's going to be called uh, If I Were the Devil. Let's just go ahead mm-hmm. and keep it on theme. If I Were the mm-hmm. Devil. Uh, and I hope the listeners out there got some real tangible value for how to just, you know, like beat beat the nudge, man, and, mm-hmm. and just see the world more clearly without so much confusion because that's another word that's some more work of the devil man confusion and mm-hmm. chaos so if we are bringing clarity and safety and and we can drop you into that parasympathetic rest digest relax we're doing part of our job it's not all of our job but it's part of our job and right. so if you're getting value from this Remember, you can share your time, you can share your talent, you can share your treasure. If you have any talent donations, brooks at seriousfun.io. If you have any treasure donations, you can donate through the apps that I told you about. You can donate at Venmo and PayPal. The email is brooks at seriousfun.io. Or you can go to go givesendgo.com forward slash feed the people. And we would greatly appreciate it. It definitely helps us make improvements and uh, help us get found. So, as always, AJ, thank you for your time. Great job. And as always, remember to shake the hand that feeds you. See you next time. Mm-hmm.